0: So we might ask, what on earth creation has to do with our salvationist traditional themes of holiness and salvation? If we can't find any connection, then I truly believe we're going to have to answer for that to our young people. We're going to have to answer for that, for the not knowing the connection... To Felix, we're going to have to answer him. We're going to have to answer to Arthur and to Mabel and to Esther and Elijah and all our little darlings. If we can't find a connection to how creation is a salvation issue, they're going to want to know why. So this morning, I'm appealing that we're able to take a broader view of holiness and salvation. And particularly this morning, salvation, we'll come back to the holiness one later. But a view of salvation which encompasses within God's mission the whole big cosmic creation as well as my own personal one. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He saw all that he'd made and it was very good. We call God creator and because God loves what he has made, Genesis says, I think we can safely say that creation all of it, not just us, all of it is of infinite value to God and that he's not going to let it go. I do believe that over the centuries, the church has sent out mixed messages about this. We have got confused. Our faith doctrine has got a bit skewed along the way. We have had a problem with what's important. Is it matter or is it the soul? What's good, what's evil? Is God interested in the material things or is it only our spirits he's interested in? So many twists and turns in Christian theology trying to get this right down through the centuries. And it might be worth noting that some harsh critics of Christianity have held Christianity responsible when it was much more powerful, its message in society than it is today, for setting up a culture that salvation is just for human persons. And because, in that understanding, this world is going to burn so and forgive me, I'm not swearing, but so to hell, quite literal, quite literally, with the rest of creation. And a particularly t- tricky text is one that we read in Genesis, one twenty-eight this morning. Can we have that one up? There it is. What does it say? What do you think's tricky about that text? What's the tricky word? Uh, Thanks very much. Yeah, fish is tricky for some people. I'll I'll give you that, but that's not the word I was thinking of. (laughs) I love it. Got to keep you on your toes when you're on the stage. Right, another word. Pardon? Dominion. Yes, that's the tricky word. God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase." Fill the earth, here's another tricky one, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the seas and so on and so on. That word dominion. The word dominion, to control or subdue, linked to domination or dominance or dominic. Oh no, not that one. No, not dominic. And if we want a license for increasing radioactivity creating canals with atom bombs, employing endless poisons to the earth, ripping up climate change agreements or bulldozing the earth, there's no better justification for it, say some people, than this one. Be fruitful and have dominion. And so says Critical environmentalist Max Nicholson in 1970, we need to scrub out the complacent image of man licensed by God to conduct himself as Earth's worst pest. Is this word dominion so pr- prone to exploitation and perversion in its meaning? Is it defendable? Is it defendable? I think it might be if we could place it back in its original context which referred to the Israelite idea of kingship and it was the servant idea of kingship, the ideal king in Hebrew whose dominion meant to be utterly responsible for the protection and for the nourishment and for the care of all that's entrusted to him. I think that would work. And that's why it should stay in the biblical text. But I'd like to say something more positive than that this morning. And I'd like for us to reclaim our biblical roots in which creation is included in the mission of God. I'd also like to do that in order for us to be able to offer good news to the world, a world deeply impacted by the questions that environmental concerns are raising right now, right this weekend in Florida and Cuba. There's some good news So what does the word have to say about the environment? Well, actually, Jesus didn't have anything to say about the environment because that word wasn't in the vocabulary of the New Testament. So the word environment or environmental disaster just doesn't come up. But the word creation does in bucket loads. So what can we say this morning? And here I'm going to take five minutes to do what I hope is a faithful span of the whole of the Bible. Is that okay? What can we say? I hope I'm faithful. Keep me true if I'm not. I think we can say that creation is huge in the Old Testament. If we were following the lectionary with the rest of the church this morning, we'd be spending the whole of this month looking at Exodus, how in Exodus God speaks, how he suffers, with us, and how he redeems us through elements like fire, water, land, the forest. We can say that. We can say that most of the gospel images include Jesus relating to the cornfield, the lakes, the mountains, the dusty roads, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the lilies, the fish, and the fire. We can say that. We can say that God entered the world as flesh, skin and blood. And if so, then God is right at the heart of creation by grace-changing everything and transforming everything. I think we can say that. Have I got your approval so far? I think we can agree that creation is hurting right now, can't we? For now, Julie Andrews, notwithstanding, the hills may be alive with the sound of music, but they're singing in a minor key. And Romans tells us this. For we know that all creation, all creation, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And we can say that God groans with us in that. Creation so vibrant with God's life is like us bound, held down by dark forces and yearning like us to be set free to the original blessing. But God will save, says the word. So we kind of know of salvationists what he's going to save us from, but what will he save creation from? I've got two thoughts this morning. First, he's going to save us, he's going to save creation from itself. Look, you and I know that nature is not the ideal rosy picture all the time. We know that nature can be cruel, don't we? We know that nature is sometimes about the survival of the fittest, like us, tainted with that mentality. We're the most powerful, the most beautiful, the strongest. The ones with the best genes survive. The weaker ones, the poor ones, the little ones get trampled on. So I think that God will save creation from itself in the final picture. And I think God will save creation from us. From the damage and the exploitation. Because we too by then will be saved. And we won't be doing that stuff. And ultimately this morning, we surely can proclaim our hope that in the final shalom of God, creation will be at peace. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. We read it this morning. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. And it goes on. And it says, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What an incredible picture. What a hope. And the good news, which includes all creation within God's salvation plan, is so much better than we thought, isn't it? So much bigger, so much better. But you know, we salvationists were a little bit suspicious of creation themes. I'm a little bit worried about this in some senses because I don't want to be seen as a nature worshiper. Or a green lefty particularly. I saw some of the Anglican resources for this season. Um, I'm not sure if I'd use them here actually. Because although they're wonderful and they are biblical, they're not what our Salvationist ears are used to. So today some churches will be out in the woods worshipping Christ Christ. They have some liturgies that might just feel a little bit strange to our military ears. And I thought, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I could use those at the rink. Not just yet. That's why we had St. Francis of Assisi. He was a safe bet. But I want to contend this morning again, creation is a salvation issue, and salvation that's centred only on a hope and a future for us lot, is way too narrow. But when have we heard of the word and the spirit transfiguring our bodies and the stars and raising mountains, involving animals, of the resurrection of the body and of flora with its plants, flowers and grasses, of the entire cosmos with its galaxies, stars, systems and planets you know it's amazing that Saint Francis of Assisi didn't get burnt at the stake for his project of setting up that democracy of the equality of all God's creatures it's incredible he didn't get killed for that it could only be that the Catholic Church protected him because that would have been like a heresy in those days And I think he deserves his place today as Patriot Saint of Ecology. Nevertheless, an understanding that the relationship we have with creation is not as master, but siblings, there's the link, but siblings changes everything. Did you hear in that prayer of St. Francis this morning, Brother Earth, Sister Death, did you hear it? Now I'm one of three sisters, there we are, Jane, Carolyn and Ingrid. So which one am I? Go on, which one? No, that's my baby sister, Ingy. The one on the left, me, the fat one, that's right, that's me. Yeah, I was a, quite a plump child. And there's my big sister, Jane, who was there on Welcome Sunday here at the rink with us. Now, we have had our disagreements over the years. We have. And life has not always been an easy path, but I adore them. And I think they love me as much. And, you know, much as we have our differences, and, I mean, we used to have a label from in the Army world. They used to call us the Boardman Girls. And um, they never knew. We always looked so well uh, behaved I think in army meetings and angelic as you do they never knew that behind, behind closed doors we would have such differences but you know what I would no more wish ill on either of those two than I would on myself and if creation is part of God's salvation plan. Then it must be that when we assault nature, we assault his mission and we assault God himself. So let's remember this morning that heaven is less about some far distant place and more about the renewing of this one, a salvation for this world. And that when we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we're anticipating heaven coming here. Not us being shut off anywhere else, but heaven coming here. God's going to put this one right. And as we close this morning, I'd like to give you one final picture. And it comes from Revelation And it's verse 5 to 6. It's the most beautiful vision of the future. And the writer of Revelation says But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne. In this stunning poetry is Christ who is both lion and lamb for us. In him... The lion and the lamb, it's amazing, retain their identities. One doesn't get squashed for the other. They retain their identities. But look, they are reconciled. In Christ, salvation will come. If this is true, all creation will be transformed. No predators, no scratching or biting, no killing. No power games, no dominance, no domination, but definitely a Dominic. And all creation, including the animals and us, will be at peace. And so we come in relationship with each other and with creation this morning laying down our lives to Christ who is majestic, conquering Lion of Judah and suffering, gentle Lamb of God, whose invitation is the fierce and fiery hope of transformation and the gentle assurance of life on earth as it will be one day in heaven. That's something to wonder at, isn't it? In the Orthodox Church, after Communion, the deacon says, Let us stand in goodness, let us stand in awe. This morning, let us stand in awe of Christ, our Lion and our Lamb.